We are in part four of our First Corinthians series that we called Practical Faithfulness. In this year of faithfulness, I entitled this morning's message, Faithful to the Kingdom. Faithful to the Kingdom. And I want to begin with a couple concepts with you, and that is this. Think in your mind and scroll through all the different descriptions or metaphors or analogies that the Bible uses for the church. If you think about it, other than church, you have what? Things like the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Begin to scroll through them in your mind and think about all the different ones that the Bible uses. Because I could suggest this to you. I cannot think of one analogy that the Bible uses, and there may be one out there, but they are heavily, predominantly singular. It is not many brides of Christ. It is one bride of Christ. It is not many bodies of Christ. It is one body of Christ. Can we all agree with that? If that is so, then there is no such thing as a lot of different churches. There is one church of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where it gets real personal. And this is my challenge and my mandate out to you, which is, are you willing to say, when you think of a denomination, a congregation, an affiliation, in your mind right now, that you go, I'm not going there. I wouldn't go there. I have no ind- I'm not going to walk through that door. I can see from the sign on the outside. I'm not going there. Let me ask you this. Are you ready to say they are unsaved? Let, let's just drop the hammer right here. Are they not going to heaven? You go, well, Lance, I don't know if I really want to judge that. I mean, I'm not really going to go that extreme. Oh, you are in your head, in your heart. You've been judging him the whole time. Let me ask you again. Are you ready to say that they are going to hell? Surely. If you cannot say that, then they're probably your family. There is one church of Jesus Christ. And that means they're your brothers and sisters. I get they don't do things like you do. I get you don't even necessarily care for how they handle certain things. I know there's some irritation and agitation. And I know there's certain things that you look at and go, man, that is way out of line. I don't. All right. I know. But what you cannot do is then take the next step and say, they're not in my family. Because they actually are. Now, we understand that in our family, we don't always get along with our family. We don't do everything the same as our brothers and sisters. We don't all see eye to eye. We don't all look at the world the same way. However, we are family. That means there is a certain understanding of unity that has to occur. It doesn't mean sameness. It doesn't mean lack of diversity. It doesn't mean you got to do it this way or else... No, listen, it means that there is one church of Jesus Christ, and we need to wrap our heads around that. That's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's God only has one church body. God only has one church body. What are we going to do with that? Because even though we know that in thought, we don't act like that on a day-to-day basis. 
if I was to say, hey, we're going to go have a connection with this church across town, and we're all going to hang out together and have a worship service, and you went, what are they doing here? We have a problem. What do you mean, what are they doing here? They're, they're here because they're your brothers and sisters. Our love for God that we say we have is reflected in our love for people. Friends, neighbors, and enemies. How you treat other people will express the love of God that you have in your heart. Here's where things begin to become even more personal. Bridgeway has a very mixed reputation in the community. I found this out recently. I had some inklings, but then I began to discuss things with different pastors, and I found out that in some circles, Bridgeway is seen as the smiley church, fun. Hey, you got, hey if you live out in Rockland, man, you got to go there. Uh, if you don't have a home church, you got to go hang out with those guys. They're, they're great people. They're really loving and kind. I found out that there are also circles where they don't like us at all. As a matter of fact, we are known as snobby Pharisees. And here's why. Because their pastors are consistently having their people come back to them and challenge them on something, saying, my friends that go to Bridgeway keep telling me, why would you go to that church when you could go to a real church? Why do you go to that church and you get milk when you can go get meat at Bridgeway? Why would you go over there and then... Instead of encouraging those folks, they get discouraged, go back to their pastor, and then start attacking their pastor. And then I hear about it. Because they're going, what are your people saying? Because I got everyone discouraged because your people are running around saying that they're the only church that's legit. Okay. That's not all right. So let me clarify a couple things. First of all, I would guess... That the main reason why most of us are saying phrases like that has nothing to do with our disdain for another church. It's our excitement and exuberance for Bridgeway is being communicated a little improperly. We'll say things like, man, I'm really excited. I'm growing in the Lord. I have a fire about God's word. And this is awesome. I would love for you to experience what I'm experiencing. That's great. And we want to share that with our friends and our family. And we want to say stuff like that. We also have to remember that God may have them in their home for a reason. And what we're doing is then we end up drawing them away. And then the pastors are going, what are you doing? What is your church doing? Because we're sitting there, we're building into our community. And then all of a sudden they're constantly now have grasses greener syndrome because everyone keeps telling him it's better somewhere else. That's not appropriate. Now, we also have a reason that sometimes we maybe attended a church and, it, and things were really rough for us, and we have a protective nature over other people. And so when we find a safe place, we go, you go, I need you to be safe too. And we gather them towards us. These are all beautiful motivations. We just have to change our method of communication about it because it ends up hurting and discouraging other leaders. Here's an added problem for us. We are leader heavy. I've told you this before. We have an extra amount of Christian leadership and people that have been in the Lord for a really, really long time here. A lot of you have come because you're hurt and burnt out. 
And so you come in here and hide and heal. I want you to know that not only is that appropriate, it's great. I want you to find a place where after you've been serving the Lord so hardcore for so long that you finally can shut down your engine and rest. I want you to be here and be filled up. I want you to be excited again. I want to get you back to that place where you can't wait to serve again. And then even if you leave us and go away and serve someone else, that's still wonderful. It's appropriate. The problem is we're coming in with a lot of hurt. So then when we get in conversations, people will go, hey, why are you here? And you go, well, you know what? You're trying to be appropriate and kind and polite. You're trying to say the right things, but your pain bleeds out. And then people are like, that church is a bunch of jerks because they hurt my friend. With that mix going on here, I need us to be extra vigilant to be loving and kind and protect the unity of the church. And I'm not talking about this church. We have a shocking amount of unity and peace inside the church. Paul is about to address in Corinthians chapter 3 where we're in that in their church it was ripped apart all the time by division. Currently, I know of no significant division going on inside our church. My concern is us kingdom-wide. Because if we are a divisive unit within the greater kingdom, causing people to have animosity, then we are not doing our job. With a church like this, of mature believers that we have a lot of, with leaders that we have a lot of, we should be the number one beacon of love, hope, and joy in this region for the church and the world. We should be the ones out there encouraging other pastors, encouraging other leaders, encouraging other believers. We who have a lot in Jesus Christ should be able to be generous and loving and sharing towards every other believer and every other church. And it hurts my heart when I have other pastors discouraged or sad because those are my friends. And they look and they go, man, I wish that. I could look at Bridgeway and smile as opposed to looking at Bridgeway and just feeling sad. We are going to do something at the end of today that we're going to help to build that. That's our challenge today. But before we get there, let's read God's word. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? We are going to go through chapter 3 in a blindingly fast way because apparently I talk too long. And we keep running out of time. So, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 953, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're brand new with us, we read through the chapter, we pray, and then we go back and tear it apart. All right? That's simple as that. Here we go. But I, brothers, Paul says, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If any, of you, if any one of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, they're all yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to receive today. Lord, keep the enemy away from us, that he would not distract us, that he would not bring condemnation along with these words, but that your Spirit would encourage us towards change, transformation, and glory. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to spiritually discern what you want us to take in today and what changes ought to be made. We submit our lives to you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. Go back to the verse 1 there. Paul says, but I, brothers, these are believers. He calls them brothers. That's important to know because he's about to rebuke them. For bad behavior. And a lot of us will look at someone's behavior and go, that person's clearly not a Christian. Hold up. He's about to rebuke them for doing stuff that you're going to go, wow, that's, that's not good. He just finished telling them that they were sanctified in Jesus Christ. He just finished telling them that they were made holy by God's power. And now he's going, but your attitudes, your behaviors, it's not matching up with your identity. You're way out of line. He's about to rebuke them, but that didn't change their status as to who they are in Jesus. But I, brothers, when I first came to you, he's going to talk about when he first walked in, set up the church and live with them for a year and a half. That was four years before this letter, when he first walked in the doors. He said, but I, brothers, could not address you. I couldn't talk to you four years ago as spiritual people about the things of God. I couldn't have a dialogue with you about Jesus because you were brand new or you didn't even know the Lord. I had to talk to you as people of the flesh. That means basic humans, basically self-designed, self-focused, not listening to the Holy Spirit. That it's not necessarily a degrading thing if you're human to be human. 
You're just human. But when you're talking to a Christian and they're only acting human, when they've been given new life in Jesus, something's wrong. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. All right, now we have shifted into a new metaphor. He just said, you guys were acting like babies in Jesus. Now, babies are cute, but babies are still babies. And I'm telling you that you shouldn't be babies at this point. But I had to address you as infants, immature in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. All right, let's just pause and clarify something. Can we clarify what milk is and what meat is? Because we apparently have been using those terms. Um, What defines something as milk or meat in a preaching capacity? Is it the way you talk to somebody or is it the content you're using? Because it's kind of both, right? Let Let me use a... An analogy here. We say, man, that preacher, all he does is give milk. He doesn't give me. What do you mean? Do you mean he's dumbing it down? Is that what you mean? That he's talking baby talk. Is that what we're trying to say? It's his method of communication. He only talks about one main thing and talks about surface stuff. And But mostly it's the way that he says it. He doesn't talk about anything, won't drop any deep words. He just kind of skims across the surface and talks about basic concepts. But he does it in a way that almost seems childlike. You go, are you insulting my intelligence? You think I don't know that? Right? Is that what you, is that what we mean? Right? Or is it content that all he does is talk about, hey, Jesus came here and died. All right, dude, we got that. Can we please move on? I understand Jesus came here and died. We happened to talk about the last 30 weeks. Can we talk about something else? Is it content? Man, he doesn't talk about any of the deep stuff like, you know, predestination and free will. And what about this? And how did this work? And are you talking about content? Almost like you would say in the milk is the what happened. The meat is how did it happen? Like, for example, you go, Jesus died for you. That's a what? That's milk. And then you go, so how did that work? Oh, okay, now we got to go into the bigger, deeper picture, which is what does redemption really mean? And how did it happen before the dawn of creation? And what it really is free will? And all these, right? Is that meat? Here's my problem with the whole meat and milk discussion. Let me ask you this. Is it appropriate to make your three-month-old eat a steak? Right? Come on, little kid, just gnaw on the gristle. I know you don't have any teeth, but that's all right. You can suck the juice out of the meat, right? What? Okay, bad parent, you're weird. Okay, no, it's not appropriate, right? Because you actually give babies milk because babies drink milk. Hey, that works out. Now, the other thing that I want to add is milk bad. No, milk is not bad. As a matter of fact, later on, if you only eat meat, you're not washing it down with anything, right? That's going to cause a problem later on, right? So here's my point. A preacher is to preach what is appropriate for his audience, 
if the pastor assesses that he largely has people that need basic information, then he needs to preach basic information. Paul already said, when I came in, I resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not going any deeper than that. I was very basic. Why? Because you can't handle it. Now, if the congregation is able to handle it and he's not doing it, then he has an inability to read what is appropriate for the congregation. But most pastors are trying to assess what people can handle. And so it would be appropriate to their scenario. Let me, you you go, well, you know what, this whole, always using constant examples and hey, let's get creative on how we share Jesus. Just get to the point, man. Go basic, go hardcore. Anybody remember how Jesus preached? Jesus preached, ah, very basic and very creative. He'd go, the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd go, a seed. And you're like, well, that's pretty basic. Yeah, I know. Why did he do that? Because it's appropriate. There are times and places to do the appropriate thing. I don't think that milk is bad. I don't think that meat is bad. I think you need to make sure it matches with who you're serving, if that makes any sense. Let's go back to the verse. It says this. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. Now that's the problem. Why? Because they're now four years old in the Lord. And who were their leaders? The Apostle Paul, Apollos, one of the greatest preachers of all time, Timothy, Silas, and possibly a visit from Peter. If you have been discipled by the five biggest leaders of all Christendom, and you can't grow in four years, something's wrong with you. That goes to show you can have the best preacher in the world, but if the heart is not willing, you're not going anywhere. A lot of people will automatically blame the pastor for not growing spiritually. I can tell you both from a pastor and a counselor point of view, you can only work with what you're given. And so sure enough, somebody has a hard heart. I don't care how many times I tell you, you need to forgive. If you're not willing to forgive, we're not going anywhere, right? So it really has to do with the content and the condition of the heart that you're preaching to. So we have to be very careful on which direction we're throwing things at, right? We may need to do some self-examination. Even now you're not ready for you are still of the flesh. You're still earthly for while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Jealousy. What, what is that doing? Why is that here? That's that's saying, man, I wish you didn't have what you have. That that makes me mad. You don't deserve that. I should have that. Right? Or whatever it is. It's this animosity. It's this strife, this arguing, this jealousy of just going, well, you have some advantage over me. And that makes me look at you different. Why, why are we having that discussion in family time? Here's the other intriguing thing. He's referring to this idea of being babies and then uh, obviously talking about those that are a little bit more mature. Can we please define what mature means in the Lord? It means Christ-likeness, not time-logged in church. Do you understand? However many services you go to is actually not maturity. It's not even information. Because remember this, always remember this. The Pharisees always knew more than the disciples. Which group do you want to be in? 
So I ask you this. If you've been in the church and you are a brand new baby, let's say you've only been in the church for a couple of years and you're like, man, I feel lost and confused and my life's kind of chaotic and I can't seem to get it. You're normal. It's how it's supposed to be. Of course, that's what's going on. Of course, you don't feel like you're tracking with everything. Of course, you feel a little bit lost. That's how you're supposed to feel. But if you have been in the Lord and been going to the going to church for 20 years and you are no more Christ-like and loving than you were when you first walked into the church, something's wrong with you. What's going on? I, I thought this quote, I, I don't usually do a whole bunch of quotes in my sermons, but I always put them on the top of your page. And today's is awesome, by the way, because um, it's not for me. Um, this quote I thought was brilliant. It's by John MacArthur. He said, a baby who acts like a baby is a joy, but an adult who acts like a baby is a tragedy. The longer you're in church, the higher the stakes go. Cause you should know what the heck is going on. You have been trained and trained and trained. And the only thing that's going to matter is your level of love. Has it increased or not? Jesus said the whole Bible hinges on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the Bible. So if you're in church, your level of love and compassion and heart for people, as well as your truth, should grow. And if you go, man, I'm actually not more loving than I was 32 years ago when I walked in the church. What's wrong? That's not maturity. He goes back and he says this in verse 4. For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Because the minute you say, man, I'm in that guy's crew, you just drew a line in the sand. Now you're not with somebody else. You now put everybody on opposites. Hey, I follow this teacher, I follow this teacher, this guy's cool, he's my main, main, main guy, what? Right? We've talked about that. He said, when you do that, you're being human. You're, you're acting like the world. You've got to find your little category and who do I hitch my train to and stuff. What are you doing? That's not right. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants. Yeah, servants through whom you believed. I get that we are your spiritual parents. I get that we have guided you, and that is awesome. I get we have a connection. I get that you appreciate the ministry. But can we all be clear that we are merely low-level servants in the kingdom of God? And we are only the servants as the Lord has assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. Seriously, if we all go out to make a garden... And God said, hey, I want you to make a garden. And then I go, hey, I'm digging hole guy for the seeds. And somebody goes, I'm watering hose guy, right? And then I go through and I dig the thing. And then you, you water. Are we really bragging about that? <laughs> I mean, are you, are you really kind of have, hey, I'm a prod. I, I dug a hole. Okay, whatever. The garden only comes up from the Lord. Okay, let me use this analogy with you. Leaders... Believers, however you want to say it, because I believe all of you are leaders, quite frankly. Leaders are conduits of power. They're not power sources. Okay, so let's use this analogy real quick. Let's say that we're talking about 
Um, you can use fiber for telecom. You can use copper wiring for energy. I mean, however you want to do it, you can. Use, and, and my that I think is kind of funny is use PVC piping, because PVC piping is a conduit. Stuff runs through it, right? Nobody brags about PVC piping. Dude, you seen my PVC piping? Dude, the way the water runs, it's like, right? I mean, it, what? No, you moron. Nobody does that. I mean, you may talk about the sprinkler system, but you're not going to sit there and be all proud of, hey, there's, a... come on, seriously? Every leader is merely a conduit by which the Holy Spirit is flying through. You're supposed to turn around from the conduit and go, wow, and look at the source. Not the, not the conduit. That's kind of silly. That's what Paul's trying to say. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything who cares what role you play, but only God who gives the growth. That's the big deal. He who plants and he who waters are one. We're of the same type. We're unified. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field. God's building. Notice that he says each one's going to receive his wages according to what? His labor. Not his results. Can we be very clear on this? When you stand before Jesus and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, he's not looking for results. Why? Because he's the one that did the results. He's looking for effort. He can put you in a ministry that is absolutely frustrated and goes nowhere. Why? Because he's building your character or he's having somebody watch you and it's something totally different than what you assumed. He's allowed to do that. He's allowed to put you into a frustrating scenario where you go nowhere because he's responsible for results. You're only responsible for obedience, faithfulness, and effort. That's what you will be receiving your reward for. According to the gifted ability that God gave me, Paul said, according to the grace of God given to me, meaning he gave it to me. I don't have it innately. I can't brag about it. It was given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Well, that's kind of a funny phrase because he's like, don't get me wrong. I am awesome. (laughs) I am a skilled master builder, right? It's architect, general contractor. Yes, God gave me a job to do. I did it well. I put everything I had into it. I planned it out. I tried to be obedient to everything. And yes, we laid the foundation. What's the foundation? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. He said, and then somebody else is building on it. I was evangelism guy. I broke the ground. Then Apollos and Timothy and Silas, they come in, they're pastor guys, and they get you up and running and they disciple you. That's pretty awesome. Someone else is building on it. Let each one, each leader, anybody take care how you build on the foundation of Jesus. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day that Jesus comes back and sorts it all out, that is going to make it obvious. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives the test, he'll receive a reward, a well done If anyone's work is burned up, proved to be worthless in God's eyes, he will suffer loss, the least of which is embarrassment, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, did you just hear that? Hey, your ministry's lame because you're dysfunctional and don't know what you're doing. You're still saved, 
Jesus has to look and go, but that's all garbage. So we're not using your ministry. That was pretty lousy. However, you're still my child. You're not saved on your works. I got to keep burning that into our minds. It's not, hey, I built this ministry. That's what. Who cares? You're not saved by what you accomplish. You're saved by your identity in Jesus. We have had a number of fires in this area. And we have people that have lost a lot. When I go over to other um, archaeological ruins and stuff like that, the only stuff that's left is stone, marble, things like that. Because fire has swept through and devastated all the wood stuff. So literally, when you go into an archaeological dig that you're looking at, you have to picture the wood stuff because it's not there anymore. All the buildings and stuff were gone. Because when fire rages through, anything that doesn't last goes. He said, you know what, that's what God's going to do is ultimately he's going to burn through and see what you did. Then it goes really important here in verse 16. Do you not know? Anytime he starts a phrase like that, it's an indisputable statement, meaning pay attention. Now, we cannot understand this passage in power unless we do it with a southern drawl. It is God's way. So I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 with a southern drawl for one particular purpose. We have made this passage individual, singular, self-focused. It is actually plural. And the only way to describe it in plural is to use the phrase, y'all. Got it? All right, here we go. Do you not know? That y'all are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. (laughs) Now you understand it. What is this point? Although the Bible does indicate that individually we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that is not here. This is talking about God's church. It's a y'all thing. It's a collective church. We collectively in Bridgeway are a temple church wide kingdom wide, right? We are God's temple where he dwells. If you destroy that God's going to destroy you. That's a different warning. We always look at this one and go, well, my body is a temple. If I smoke too much and God's going to destroy me. Okay, hold on. Wrong passage. Don't apply it like that. This is collective. This is church focused. If you cause division and strife and rage chaos and ruin what God is doing, if you are a believer, you will be disciplined. If you are a non-believer, God will destroy you. Why? Because his church is holy. You don't mess with God's church. He takes it very, very, very seriously. Let no one deceive himself. And that phrase means, and you are right now. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, you think you know it all, let him become a fool in the world's eyes. Focus on God's stuff that he may become wise. 
for the wisdom of this world, the way everybody does stuff, oh, this is how you build it, this is how you do it, look out for number one, all that garbage, that is folly with God. For it is written in Job 5.13, he catches the wise in their craftiness, meaning they think they're brilliant and they can pull one over on God, guess what? Psalm 94 again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. God shuts down arrogant men. So don't boast in men. They don't know what they're doing. For all things are yours, church. Why are we arguing and trying to get jealous and all this stuff? Uh, Give me mine. Give me mine. I want more. When it's all yours. Arguing over what you already own? That's silliness. What? Whether Paul, Apollos, or Peter. Your leaders. They're yours. Why are we arguing about that? They're all here for you. The world. The cosmos. All the systems of the world. Well, you think God doesn't own that? We we have that too. What? Life? You have eternal life. Death? All it can do is get you more near Jesus faster. That's it. It has no power. It's yours. The present, God's moving right now. Future is heaven. What? The present, the future, all are yours. You are Christ. Christ is God's. Don't you understand We have it all. Why are we arguing and fighting over it? All right. Here's the closing challenge. If I could have the greeters start passing out some cards. Um, I designed some cards. And I'm going to give you these cards. And I need you to fill them out today. Before you leave. This is our closing challenge. If you don't have a pen in front of the seat in front of you or whatever... There's a whole table in the lobby that has pens on it. You can use that. I'm passing out cards that I drew a cartoon on. And it's weird. Of course it's weird. Come on. It's me. And in that, it's a thank you card. It's an encouragement card. Guess who it's going to? You're going to turn over the card and there's a little name on the back. It's going to one of the pastors in the area. Bridgeway collectively is going to bombard pastors in this area with love and encouragement. We are going to go out of our way, right? We are going to go out of our way to blow up their snail mailbox. Because they never get encouragements, right? So we're going to give them a whole bunch of them. So you're going to get all these random pastors in the area. You know, I don't even know that guy. Who cares? You know what pastors go through. You know how you write letters to me. You write the most sweet, encouraging, powerful cards to me. I want those going to them. I want you to be able to write and say thank you for the hard work. I know that if God has called you and put you in this place, and I know the guys on these cards, there's only one guy that one of our staff knew that I don't even know yet. And I got to tell you, these are good men. I know they may, you may have some history with them or whatever. And by the way, if you get one that you have had hurt with, that's called the Holy Spirit. (laughs) They're random. I don't know who you got going on. So here's the deal. I need you to understand they need our love. They need our encouragement. They need to be boosted up. They need to know that Bridgeway is a light in their world. And so we are going to let them know they are loved. So please just encourage them about the dedication, the sacrifice, their prayers, their efforts to try to teach the word of God to everybody. Just let them know that we see their hard work. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. 
that, Lord, I just pray that you would use these cards, that you would change lives through them, that you would boost up and encourage. Lord, even in our own hearts, would you unite us? Would you begin to help us see a family mentality that there would be no such thing as division among the family of God, neither in this region, this city, this state? Or this world. Lord, would you begin to break down the walls and storm the strongholds of the enemy? And would you allow us to be that soothing balm that allows people to know that they are loved? So, Father, change our hearts, soften us up, and allow us to see you move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.